Well, today we are in uh, one of the last weeks of our Lent series. Uh, we've been in this series for the last several weeks, and we, we've been in this series really trying to take an opportunity of looking at this 40-day period before Easter, before Good Friday and Easter. And one of the things that we embrace is that there, we need to live in a posture of reflection and preparation as, as it pertains to God's plan and purpose for our lives. All too often, we just kind of let the, the busyness of life kind of dictate how we live. And this season is, is an important one so that we don't just allow ourselves to kind of get ping-ponged all over the place, but that we pull back and understand that as we approach this incredible day of, of victory, as, as Grant said, and a day that we uh, really a tribute to our faith when Jesus went to the cross and then was resurrected. It shouldn't be just kind of a one-time-a-year thing. It should be something that we find strength in throughout our, our, our year, throughout our day, throughout our month, throughout our week. And the, the truth is there's, there's a lot to gain in understanding this journey of preparation. Even, even Jesus in His, in his life spent time in preparation. And one of the things that we see as we dive into this Scripture passage today was that Jesus was coming out of a high point in His life as He was baptized in water and in the Jordan River and was preparing his, to do His ministry. He was taken into a 40-day wilderness experience. And it's interesting because we can find, I think, a lot of strength and hope in understanding how Jesus navigated the wilderness, how he navigated temptation. You know, we can find ourselves worried and stressed out and overwhelmed by the pressures of life and, and also by the attacks of the enemy because they come. Temptation comes. Hardship comes. Frustration. Disappointment. All these things come to our lives. And we can feel sometimes maxed out by these attacks. But we can find confidence in God's desire to get us through the temptations and the trials that we face in life. We, can't, we, we shouldn't lose hope just because we face struggles. Have you ever noticed that uh, the difficulties in life always seem to follow high points? Right? Something great happens in life. Something great happens in your family. You, know, you, you have a wonderful interaction with a friend or a loved one. You, you come out of a, a wonderful meeting with, with your boss and you just, you just have been given a promotion with a raise and you're zipping home to, to tell, tell your husband or your wife and uh, you look in your rear view mirror only to see the lights going. It's like, come. <laughs> so close. We can find that to be true in our lives, that the rhythms of our lives kind of go like this. And today, we're going to take a look at the time in Scripture when, when Jesus was quite literally tempted by the devil himself in the wilderness, following a defining moment in his life. The baptism happened in the Jordan River. You remember the scene, if you've, if you've studied Scripture, John the Baptist is there and Jesus shows up and he, he wants to be baptized and John's like, no, 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 I don't, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. Jesus says, no, this needs to happen to fulfill my ministry. 
And it's an incredible scene. Jesus goes down into the water, and when He comes up, onlookers see the Spirit of God descend like a dove and rest on Jesus. And the voice from heaven, from the Father, comes and says, this is My Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Okay, I mean, you know, it's kind of a rock star moment, right? I mean, for Jesus, if you think about it. It's like, how, if, you, if you were going to go, how would I want to start my ministry? You know, it's like, okay, strobe lights, make sure there's a fog machine and some, some you know, some bumping music to really get the vibe going, and then it'll be great. Well, this was kind of like that, you know. There's this, this incredible moment where where Jesus shows up and people take notice. People are like, whoa, something else is going on. Something new is happening. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 1 today. That's going to be where we start our, our journey in the text because it follows that scene. Jesus comes from being baptized and all this amazing stuff's happening. And, you know, Father God is, has said... This is my son whom I'm well pleased. All these things are, are building. This culmination is happening. And when we pick up in, in Scripture, it takes a, a, a rather drastic turn. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip to, to Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. And uh, the YouVersion Bible app is also available to search Neighborhood Church under events. But in verse 1 it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took Him to a very high mountain and showed Him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, He said, if you will bow down and worship Me. And Jesus said to him, Away from Me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank You. We thank You that we don't navigate this life on our own, but You are with us. That Your presence goes with us. That Your power is available to us if we just tap into what You're desiring to do in our lives. But Father, we also understand that that there's hardship in this life. There's difficulty. The enemy wants to come and tempt us and detract us from what You desire for our lives. And so we ask for Your strength and Your power. We ask for Your Spirit to renew our minds and, and to change our hearts so that we would become more and more like You and we would see Your plan at work and that we would step in to Your purpose. Help us, Father. We need Your strength. We need Your power. We need your understanding. We ask that you would change us today from the inside out and that we would reflect your glory as we step into your purpose. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
What a crazy contrast, right? We see this amazing moment in Jesus' life. You know, the, the, big, the big hero moment. And all of a sudden, boom! The, the scene shifts. Quite literally, the, the, the text says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. Why? To hang out and do a little nature hike and you know, go out take his compass out and get himself lost and see if he can find his way home? No, he's, he's taken out in the wilderness for the sole purpose of being tempted. Awesome. I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, God, if you could just bring some severe temptation and trial to my life, that would be incredible. No, none of us, none of us do that. We, we want to see great things happen in our life. We want the hero moments. We want the bumping music. We don't want all the other stuff. But that's why Jesus is taken out into the wilderness. And we've, we've talked about how often we can fall into the belief that once we make the decision to follow Jesus, that everything just becomes easy. That life is just hunky-dory. And it's you know, just Disney skipping. And you know, little, little birds chirping and, and songs playing in the background all the time. But that's just not, that's not what we see. See, temptation is something that every one of us goes through. Temptation in life will come to every one of us. We'll face temptation whether we want to or not, whether we like it or not. And if we can understand that none of us is exempt, you know, we don't get a special like pass, but we will all face struggles. Here's the good news. Jesus gives us a, a blueprint as to how to come through these difficult trials without becoming a victim. Have you ever met those people in life who are just victims? We live in kind of a victim, victim society, you know, where it's like, you know, if you say this, you're going to offend somebody. If you do that, you're going to trigger somebody. And we, we struggle with all these little, like, it seems like somebody's always offended. And we have this kind of victim mentality. Like, you can't say that to me because that hurts me. You can't do that because that, you know, uh, something, you know, happened. And people play the victim card a lot. Where they want to impose their struggles on you. Now, when we love the Lord, we understand that everyone needs to be cared for and loved. But God is desiring that you would be a victor, not a victim. God desires to show up in your life in a way that you, that you see victory take place in your life. Not just a constant you know, sequence of unfortunate events where we just go, oh, this is just my life. It's just going to stink, I guess. Woe is me. See, when we submit ourselves to God's plan, we can find victory. And Jesus didn't do it on His own. We tend to think that Jesus was just because he was fully God and fully man that life wasn't hard for him. But that's not what we see. It's not at all what we see in Scripture, actually. See, he submitted himself to the direction of God the Father. He leaned upon his word for comfort and guidance, even in the midst of temptation. See, when we acknowledge that it isn't about us, it's about who we serve, then we can find victory in the face of temptation. 
Newsflash. The world does not revolve around me as much as I would love for it to. The world does not revolve around you as much as you might like to put yourself in the center of your universe. God, when we acknowledge His plan and purpose, brings about victory, even in the face of trials, even in the face of hardship. See, nowhere in Scripture are we promised health and prosperity and an easy life. No, we're actually promised the opposite. We're promised that we'll face spiritual battles. In this life, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. See, we tend to not like that idea of struggle and hardship. But none of us is exempt. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus Himself faces an attack from the enemy. And the crazy thing is, after all these years, you'd think that the enemy, you'd think the devil would, would look for new tactics. Like, right? You know, like, okay, if I change my strategy here, maybe I can take more people out. You know, but no. The devil's plan is simple. He desires to steal, kill, and destroy. Very happy, wonderful things, right? That's his, that's his desire for your life and mine. To steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. End of story, donezo, don't pass go, don't collect $200. He wants to take you out. And we tend to forget that we're in a spiritual battle. Why would the devil change his tactics if they're working? People are disappointed. They're offended. They're victims. They're, they're, they're at each other's throats. People look at the church. People look at Christians and go, ah, they're all hypocrites anyways. Well, listen to them. But the devil tends to use three central areas to bring temptation and doubt into our lives. Physical needs and desires. The things you think you need. The desires and the dreams that you have. He'll place doubt in those areas of your life. And all of a sudden, you'll find yourself doubting if God really has a plan and a purpose for your life. Possessions and power. Right? We'll, we'll look around and say, well, I need this and I need that. And my, my neighbor's got a boat, so I should probably get a boat. You know, and I need that. And God, you need to provide this. Or we look around and we want power and we want notoriety and we want affirmation. We want everybody to think we're amazing. And then the final area that the devil will bring temptation, doubt into your life is pride. Pride. Where we begin to think that the world revolves around me. And we struggle to see outside of our own reality. See, in our text, we see Satan and Jesus going head to head. It's like the epic, you know, death match, you know, between Satan and Jesus. And they're just going back and forth. And, you know, he's saying this and then he's saying that. And it's this amazing scene. But, but what is happening is, is important to realize. Satan is offering Jesus a crown without a cross. He's offering a, a kingdom without suffering. 
We need to notice that, that Jesus isn't trying to dis- or, I'm sorry, we need to notice that Satan is not trying to distract Jesus from his mission. He knows who Jesus is. He knows Jesus is the Messiah. He's actually acknowledging that. <laughs> but what is he doing? He's just offering him a shortcut. He's like, you, we all know you're the Messiah. Let's get you there, man. Let's, let's, let's get you Messiah. Let's put the cape on. Let's, let's get you what you need. You shouldn't have to endure all this other stuff to get there. Let's, let's fast track this thing. Sound familiar? Right? See, shortcuts in life rarely yield the best results. I don't know if that's been true for you. Those moments in life when I've taken shortcuts, it hasn't always worked out too well. There's, you know, on occasion, my wife Gretchen and I will connect for coffee after work or something like that, and, you know, we're in two separate cars. And in that particular time when I'm trying to beat her home, you know, because after 23 years of marriage, I still see a need to race my wife home. Um, shortcuts are great, actually. Um, and I, I always abide by the posted speed limits. But shortcuts don't often yield the best results. Diets, exercise, those, those times when we take a shortcut in an area just to see that it didn't really help us the way that we had hoped it would. Work, relationships, shortcuts don't work there, right? I was umpiring a baseball game as I do in the spring, and uh, we were over at a local high school, and if you know anything about baseball, you know when there's a fly ball hit and there's runners on, those, those runners have to tag up, right? So they have to touch the base that they're on, and if they've got, if they advance, they have to touch any base that they've advanced past, and so we were, we were there doing a game, and uh, there was a kid on first base, and the ball was hit out into the outfield, and this kid goes booking around. He rounds second base, and the ball's caught, and he's going to need to tag up. And he decides, well, the shortest path between two points is just a straight line, so I'll just go like this. And so he just cut right across, right across the baseball diamond and uh, didn't bother to touch second base. So the beautiful thing as an umpire because the only thing we like are strikes and outs, is uh, when they appeal that particular play, then we can, we can call him out. And so we did that. So it was great. So shortcuts don't work in baseball either, just so we're clear. But we tend to look for those shortcuts in life to get us where we want to be, to get us what we want to have, to help us realize the dreams and desires we have. But if we look at this interaction between Satan and Jesus, Satan challenges Jesus in three different areas. Satan first challenges Jesus to use his power to take care of his physical needs. Right? And Satan makes his, his, his first calculated attack when Jesus is weak. And he's undoubtedly hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days and praying. I would imagine he was not just Hungry, he's probably, like some of us get, a little hangry. Right? Where we're just like, yeah, I'm not just... (laughs) And on the surface, this interaction seems quite innocent, right? 
wouldn't God expect us to use our resources to attend to our physical needs? Seems pretty logical. What's wrong with feeding your starving body when you're hangry? See, this is a, a little bit different situation than just going down to No Baloney or Subway and grabbing a sandwich and just curbing your, your hunger. Satan is encouraging Jesus to use his divine power, his God-given power for personal gain by miraculously turning stones into bread. He's trying to shortcut him into his godness, his Messiah. And that's not what the plan of God was for his life. So the question becomes for us when we look at this, which is more important? Aligning ourselves with God's will for our lives, His perfect plan, or our own physical needs? Because all too often, I think we probably pick the latter. God, I need this. God, I'm hungry. God, I need you to intervene on this situation. And God's saying, I've got a plan and a purpose that I, I want to carry out in your life, but you've got to trust me. Sometimes we just want that shortcut, man. We want to get there, and we want to get there now. I need it. It's interesting, the, the, the passage of Scripture that, that Jesus quotes when He responds to Satan's temptation is found in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. It says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So when Satan tempts Jesus, he's like, no, hang on a second. This is what, this is what the Word of God says. This is, what the, this is what the Bible says. So he combats the temptation with Scripture. Satan's second challenge for Jesus is to use his position and power to gain himself approval and attention. Just step into your, into your Lordship. Become the Messiah. Be the one that everybody knows is coming and just embrace it. Be you. Live your truth. Satan's now trying to get Jesus to test God's protective care by leaping from the highest point of the temple, which at that point was estimated to be around 400 feet above the ground. This would have likely been the portico of Solomon's porch. It was an area that overlooked the Kidron Valley. It was a well-known place in the holy city. So he's, he's encouraging Jesus to show his, his authority over the angels. And Satan is challenging Jesus to test God's promise that's given in Psalm 91, verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Isn't it crazy and interesting that Satan actually uses Scripture? Did you ever catch that? Satan uses Scripture to tempt Jesus. Like it's written right here. This almost seems like he wants Jesus to base his loyalty to Father God on the condition of God acting on his behalf. If you and, if you and God are truly one, he's going to show up, right? If you, if you are in harm's way. But it's interesting the devil uses the Scripture to, to challenge Jesus to take action to reveal He is the promised Messiah. 
Let's get you there. Let's do it. And Jesus responds, quoting the Bible again, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's like this war of Scripture. He, in essence, displays a faithfulness to God's plan that is not dependent on God the Father protecting him. The greatest act of this, the cross. When, when Jesus was, was kneeling down praying in the garden, he said, take this cup from me. If you're willing, take this cup from me, but, but not my will, but yours be done. He is surrendering his will to the Father. And then Satan's third and final challenge for Jesus is to worship him in order to gain power and, and position. Satan offers Jesus authority over the kingdom of the world in exchange for him bowing before Satan in worship. Satan is basically telling Jesus that he can have wealth and power and notoriety without having to deal with the brutality of the cross. You can become the Messiah and you don't have to deal with any of this. It's the promise without the hardship. It's the victory without the difficulty. Who would want that? This temptation is seen so often in the get it now mentality. Satan promises wealth and health and prosperity in exchange for our allegiance. You just put your trust in me. I'll take care of all these physical needs that you have, mental and emotional battles you're facing. And we live in an ultimate culture of get it now, right? We're immediate gratification to the max. Information's there. You know, if you need to get something, you just go down to the store. And if you can't get it there, you know, the Dollar Tree has everything and it's only a dollar twenty-five or whatever. No. But if you notice, all the temptations involved in this passage of Scripture, there's a choice. The choice between God and Satan. God's plan and the enemy's plan. And after Jesus successfully resists each of the devil's temptations, Jesus finally dismisses Satan by saying, away from me. Away from me, Satan. When was the last time that you faced temptation or hardship or discouragement and you said in your spirit or in your mouth, get away from me, Satan? Or maybe you're one of those people who just wears the shirt. Not today, Satan. But truly, when was the last time that we got serious about spiritual warfare? When was the last time we remembered that the battle is not flesh and bone, but it's spiritual? And that if we aren't willing to battle and war in the spirit realm, the doubts and the lies and the things that the enemy, the snares that he puts in our path, We'll step right in them. Away from me, Satan. John Piper says that sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. But there's another saying 
It goes like this. Sin will take you farther than you expected to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. Sin will always cost you in the end. Temptations will always cost you in the end. And while none of us will ever be exempt from the attacks and temptations of the enemy, we can find confidence in the fact that even Jesus was tempted to shortcut the promise of God. It was by claiming the promises and the power that's found in Scripture and stepping into God's purpose each and every day that Jesus gave us the example of how to live. You know, the greatest defense against, defense against temptation is the Word of God. If you're struggling through a hard time in your life, power's in your hands. But we have, to be, we have to be in the Word. We have to be studying Scripture. We have to know the promises of God. We've got to know what the Word of God says about the situation that we're walking through. See, understanding the attacks of the enemy are not a matter of if, but they're a matter of when. And we have to equip ourselves for spiritual warfare because it's being waged in our hearts and in our minds. The enemy of your soul wants to take you out. It's like he's tried to do to so many people throughout history. We've seen it. We've seen the pastors. We've seen the leaders. We've seen people who have failed morally or financially or whatever. The church has taken a black eye. The enemy thinks he's winning. He's not. He's not. See, Satan used the same strategy on Jesus that he used on Eve in the garden and he uses on us today. When the devil brings temptation, he uses a real need in your life. He doesn't fabricate weird stuff. He looks at what you need or what you think you need the most and he uses that to cause doubt about God's provision and His power and the doubts arise. Turn stones to bread. The need to be met is physical to satisfy hunger and it raises the doubt if God would provide food. Test God's protective care. The need to be met is emotional. It's that of security and the doubt it raises whether or not God cares. Will He provide? Does He care? I don't know. He doesn't seem to be anywhere in my life with all the stuff that I'm walking through. Exchanging worship for power. This is the satisfying of the psychological need for power and significance. It raises the question if there is an easier way to accomplish God's purpose. Why do we seem to think that we know better than God what we need? I'm speaking to myself. Okay, God, I feel like this is your promise for my life, so I'm going to go ahead and take care of it because that just makes more sense. I can get it done. I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot of people to attend to, so let me take care of it. We, th- we, th- we seem to think that we, that we can do it for God. That's not how He designed it. Faith is not doing all the stuff you think God wants to do for you yourself. 
Faith is stepping back and trusting God on the things that you can't see. For us, it might be finances, relationships, physical health, promotion. But if the devil can cast doubts in these areas, we can quickly become blinded to the amazing things God is desiring to do in our lives. Because we're chasing after all the things we think we need right now. And if we're not careful, we can be tempted to try and argue that Jesus' divine nature overruled His human nature. So that somehow, because God was fully God and fully man, He was fully God, but just kind of man. And so He didn't have the ability to sin or be tempted or fall into difficulty. But that would be incorrect. That would not be the Jesus that we see in Scripture who knelt in the garden. He said, I don't want to die. I want to go to the cross. But not my will, but yours. So did Jesus really have to endure all that we are forced to endure in this fallen world? Because Sometimes we look around and we're like, well, yeah, but He didn't have to do that. And He didn't endure that. And He didn't have people hurting Him and, and destroying Him emotionally and he didn't have to deal with depression and he didn't have to deal with anxiety and he didn't have to deal with, with financial hardship and he didn't have to deal with all these things that I have to deal with. His parents, parents weren't divorced. He was never abused. Never had to file for bankruptcy or lost his home. Never had his car repossessed. Never lost his spouse or had to face some other catastrophic event. Jesus had it pretty easy, yeah? The truth is, every major category of human sin, Jesus experienced exactly the same things that we have. The only difference is that He resisted the temptation to sin. It's the only difference between us and Jesus. He's perfect and we're not. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. It would be the height of arrogance for us to say that we are the only ones to ever have felt sad, lonely, abandoned, or overwhelmed. Jesus was a sinless person living with sinful parents, sinful siblings, sinful extended relatives, and sinful neighbors. No one on earth could identify with Him. Probably be a little lonely. No human being could, could put an arm around Him and, and, and as He sat in tears and say, I know exactly what you're going through, Jesus. See, His sorrow and His grief began way before the garden way before he was in desperation saying, God, take this cup from me. But Jesus' loneliness reached its apex moment, the highest point when he became sin for us on the cross and was forsaken by his Father. Father, why have you forsaken me? First he was estranged by sinlessness and then from becoming sin. 
Jesus knew the ultimate rejection and loneliness. A level that we've probably never experienced, probably never will. So our greatest strength against temptation is to know that Jesus overcame temptation by by knowing the Word of God. By speaking Scripture when He was tempted. So here's some Scriptures for you. When you're feeling tempted, when when you're feeling the enemy attacking you. Galatians 5.16 So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10.4 The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Psalm 119.11 I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And James 4.7 Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee. I mean, I'm just saying, that's, that's a pretty incredible promise. Resist the devil and he will flee. When you speak the power of the name of Jesus over your life, boom, there's the door. He's gone. Light and dark cannot coexist, guys. It just doesn't work. And when we claim the power of God at work in our lives, the devil's temptations, the devil's tactics, the devil's snares and traps, boom, they have to go. And we can claim these promises for our lives and know that God is faithful in every situation to provide us a way through the trial and the temptation. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy but He promises to be with us. And that's an incredible promise. Finally, the trials of life. In the trials of life, God is both faithful to us and He's faithful for us. He walks with us and He moves on our behalf. When we face the difficulties of life, God is faithful to remind us of who we are in Him. So many times we get off track because we forget whose we are. We forget that God has called us out. That God has chosen us. That God has set us apart. And we begin chasing temporary things. We begin chasing solutions that we think we need and that are going to make us happy. And we can remember that each one of us is God's chosen, set-apart ones. We can embrace the relationship that we have with Him. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has also made you an heir. What an amazing promise. God has called you out. You are His child. You are His chosen one. You are His heir. Which means everything that He has is yours. The power, the peace, the presence, the provision, whatever you need, God has it for you. 
we also need to embrace that our human weakness will sometimes need to be attended to. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us each and every day. See, Jesus' dependence on the Word of God was when he, was, when he faced temptation, he activated the Word of God. He activated Scripture. He, he, he carried the promises of God even into the moment when he was being tempted. Jesus, fully God and fully man. Quoting Scripture. He faced all kinds of different temptation, but he realized that he was not self-reliant. Jesus, not self-reliant. That in, him, in Himself, there was insufficiency. So if Jesus felt the need to, to, to grasp the promises of Scripture, don't you think we should? It's a dangerous venture to not admit our weaknesses. Especially since there are so many that the, the devil will try to exploit. When you're weak, when you're hungry, when you're beat down, when you're emotionally exhausted, when you're angry, when you're frustrated, that's when the devil's going to strike. And God, God may have blessed us with great strength and ability, but that doesn't mean that we're invincible. With all the different philosophies of life circulating around in our world, we need to be daily students of the Word of God to ensure that we navigate down the right path, the one that God has set for us. And being students of God's Word will allow us to see the truth when Satan tries to twist it. Because this is exactly what he's doing. He's taking Scripture and he's distorting it. He's taking truth and he's perverting it. And that's what he does in your life and mine. Did God really say twists the truth so that it looks like an almost truth. And it's just attractive enough to make us bite. But when we are students of the Word of God, we won't fall prey to those things. We will use God's Word to accomplish His perfect will in our lives. Keeping our focus on God's plan and desire for our lives will help us to not get caught up in the temporary setbacks and disappointments that life will inevitably bring. I heard this story um, about Thomas Edison, one of the most you know, historical figures in our country's history. But they write this story about Thomas Edison. It says, in December 1914, a huge fire destroyed Thomas Edison's lab in West Orange, New Jersey. The fire wiped out more than $2 million worth of equipment and destroyed the priceless records of his life's work. Edison's son, Charles, ran about frantically trying to find his father. Finally, he found him standing near the fire. His face shone in the glow of the fire and his white hair blowing in the cold winter wind. Charles said that when he saw his dad, his heart ached for him. He was no longer young and everything he had dreamed of and worked for in life in a moment had been reduced to charred rubble. Surprisingly, Thomas Edison had different thoughts going through his mind. He told his son to find his mom and bring her to the edge of the fire, and Edison smiled and said, she will never see anything like this again. 
Spoken like a true pyro. The next morning, walking about the rubble of so many of his hopes and dreams, the 67-year-old Edison exclaimed, there is great value in disaster. All of our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. I was talking to somebody after, after first service this morning. They said, isn't it amazing that God gives us a new day every day? And we start the day perfect. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what the season that you're in has looked like. But God is doing something incredible in your life and in mine if we're just willing to acknowledge it and see it. Too often in life we allow the setbacks, the disappointments, the failures to define us and disqualify ourselves for God's purpose. He just doesn't see us that way. He sees us as His chosen children set apart and called out for His purpose. The reality is that in our weakness, He is made strong when we don't lose faith. And when we step out in faith every day, He's able to accomplish His perfect will in and through our lives. James 1.12 in the New Living Translation says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. See, we have to go through the temptation. Jesus had to go to the cross. There was no shortcut. But God is going to be with us in the fire. He's going to be with us as we walk through the valley. I love what Helen Keller says. I am the only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. Because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. What is God calling you to do? Who is God calling you to be? Are you willing to trust Him? Are you willing to step in to His plan for your life? Because God's plan for your life and mine is perfect. We have the choice daily to stay true and faithful to His plan and faithfully serve Him. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Father, we worship You and we thank You. We thank You that we don't live this life on our own. We don't do things on our own power. We don't navigate the temptations and the trials of this life with hopelessness. But Lord, we know through the power and the strength of Your presence, your perfect work that we can find life, we can find hope, we can find victory. And so Lord, we come to this place of saying we need You. We need Your strength. We need Your presence. We need Your power at work in our lives to help us to make the decisions that we need to make to, to stay in, in tune with Your plan for our lives. Our desire is that we would never get tempted to try and do things ourselves or figure things out ourselves, but we would understand that you have us on a path that you've created and you have good things in store for your children. 
Father, I pray that we wouldn't only trust You in the great moments, but that we would press into You in the difficult ones. And that we would see Your hand at work as we walk in faith. And that through that, Lord, some others might see the hope and the peace that we have that's found in You. And they may come to a place of desiring to understand where that comes from. God, we have been set set apart to be Your beacons of light in the darkness. We desire that You would help us. Father, we love You and we're so grateful for You. We're thankful for Your Son. Thank You for the work that was done at the cross to set us apart. And we thank You that we can always call on Your name. And when we call on the name of Jesus, the enemy has to flee. Father, we worship You and we thank You. This morning, perhaps you are in this place or you're tuning in online and you say, I, I, I've been in this place and I've been pushed back and forth by life and it's just been a series of difficulties and setbacks and frustrations. The Spirit of God desires to do a work in your life to set you on a path that He's set you for. And if you're wanting to make that decision today to follow Jesus with your whole heart, we want to pray with you. We don't want to do it in a way to embarrass anybody or single them out, but we want to pray together as a church family, as a community of faith, acknowledging that every one of us has areas that God is working on. And so if that's you today, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you're desiring to make that decision today, would you say this prayer with us? And church, can we say this together? Say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe Your Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And He died and was raised back to life so I could have relationship with You. I ask You today to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for You today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Can we celebrate those who have made that decision today? I'm excited and grateful for what God is doing in our lives in this community of faith. I'm excited that we get to take the hope that we have, that we've found out of this place because it's not meant to just stay here. And so as we go out of this place this week and we face the trials and temptations of life, let's claim the promises of God and let's show people what it means to walk in hope and life and love. And as we go out of these doors, let's do what we always say we're going to do. Let's step out into our community and be the neighborhood. God bless you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next Sunday.